All right, well, congratulations, Ohio State and Alabama fans. And congratulations, really, to everybody. You made it through 2020. And here we are at the beginning of a new year. And, um, you know, like I was praying earlier, God's mercies are new every morning. And at the beginning of the new year, there's a sense of, of, of newness that comes to that new year as well. That's, that just as God's mercies are new every morning, the beginning of a new year is a time of, of new mercy. And it's things that we, we you know, know, and so we, we make New Year's resolutions. We make decisions. We think about things that, that we you know, want to change. We kind of take stock of what happened in 2020, not just circumstantially as it relates to, to COVID, but like personally, spiritually, take stock of where we're at, things that maybe we fell into, things that maybe we fell out of that we want to get back to, and so things that we want to change, what we want to change in our lives. And so just, you know, I want to ask you that. As you review this past year, and as you look into this new year, in what ways do you maybe sense the Spirit nudging on you a little bit of things that He wants to change in you this year? Don't ignore that. But then the follow-up question to the, to the, you know, what may need to change in your life is, is how do you go about changing that? And recognizing that spiritual change, spiritual growth is not something that, that you can muster up in yourself. It is something that the Spirit does in you, but you can lay kindling around your life. So that when the spark hits, it ignites. You can put yourself under the faucet so that when God turns the water on, it pours on you. So there are things that you can do. And so if you were going to kind of talk about, all right, well, this, this year I want to see some change in my life and I want to lay that kindling. I want to put myself under the faucet. What are some things that I can do to help that, to enable the possibility of growth? And we were just going to whiteboard that up here and kind of list one, two, three, four, five, six. The number one thing I would put up there, the number one thing you can do this year to see spiritual growth in your life is to read your Bible every day. That is the number one thing you can do this year if you want to see growth and change in your life is to read the Word. And, you know, confession, there are seasons in my own life where I get out of that for a week. Particularly when I'm on vacation or something. Shouldn't. I'm being honest with you. And I can tell you this right now. When I am consistent in the Word, I am a better Christian than when I am not. You can take that to the bank. The number one thing you can do to grow in Christ this year is to be consistent in consuming Scripture. What else will we put up there? Well, we put up praying. Right? When we read Scripture, we are hearing from God. When we pray, we are talking to God. So pray. And also, you want to sit under good teaching. We put that up on the whiteboard. You know, number three, sit under good teaching. Number four, uh, corporate worship. And I know it's different this year. Some of your own live stream and that sort of thing. But when we gather and we sing with one another and to one another, 
we're counseling one another. When we sing and proclaim no guilt, no shame, no curse, no chains, we're speaking life to one another. That the Lord is our shepherd and His goodness never faileth. We're speaking to one another. We're, uh, counseling is happening in that moment. We might also put up on that board, you know, being involved in other people's lives and, and, and having them involved in our lives. Knowing others and being known. And again, I know 2020 has made that a little bit more difficult. And so we have to seek avenues where that can happen. You might put up there serving in the church, serving outside of the church, serving others, sharing our faith, all of these things. And if we were going to take and just continue on with that, we could come up with kind of some big categories and frame all of those around four things, really. Gather, grow, serve, and go. Those four big categories, that's why that is our pathway for discipleship here at Providence. We gather, we grow, we serve, we go. That's what we do. And so if you want to grow in Christ this year, do those things. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean growth is going to happen, but like it's a guarantee. If you do this, it, that will happen. But it, put, it gives you the opportunity. It puts you under the faucet for spiritual growth. But every one of those things that I just, you know, that we had this pretend whiteboard up here, every single one of those grows out of something that we often overlook, that we often forget. Something that particularly in 21st century American, you know, hyper-consumeristic, me-focused Christianity we, we downplay because it's not sexy and popular. But every single one of those things grows out of it. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about the God-given gift and necessity of church membership. Now, somebody just had a thought in their mind. They're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? It is 2020. And it has been a hard year. It has been a devastating year. It has been a train wreck for me personally. It's left me anxious and depressed and, and, and sad and worried and scared. And a year, it's a year where I've lost friends. It's a year where I've lost family members. Maybe your kids are in a bad place. Maybe you've lost your job. And, and so you're going to come in here on 2020 and tell me, hey, let's talk about church membership. This is the first time I've been in church in a long time. I need something practical. I need something I can grab hold of. Something more than church membership. Are you kidding me? Dear friend, every single thing that I just mentioned has everything to do with church membership. Anxiety, depression, loss. Pain, worry, all of that has everything to do with church membership because it's in the church, Christ's body, His people, where God most tangibly meets you in your need. It's through His people, the Spirit working through His people. Like if you are a member of a local gospel-centered church and you get sick 
whether that's COVID, cancer, whatever. If you're a member of a look, watch what happens. They're going to be the people bringing you meals. They're going to be the people loving you and praying for you and calling, on, calling you and checking in on you. They're going to be the ones figuring out how to get your kids to school, mowing your grass. They're going to be the ones surrounding you in that way. They're going to be the ones that maybe come to your house and have a conversation with you through the window because they can't be, you know, COVID presence or whatever. They're going to be the ones, I saw this this year, drive-by birthday parties. I mean, in the toughest season of, of my life, 2012, pre-COVID, there were people in the hospital with us all the time, sitting with us. All the time. We would not, Sarah and I would not have made it through 2012 without the support and love of a local church family. And so I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in others' lives, because that's what the church does. And, in, and it's in those moments, like in, when that happens and, you, and you're humbled by being helped in a, in a place where you can give nothing in return, in those moments, what's happening is God is saying, I've got you. I'm right here. And I'm going to take care of you. And He does it through His people. And so regardless of how you come into this room this morning, regardless of how you come into the room that you're watching on right now, regardless of the difficulties that you're facing you don't need practical tips to start 2021. No, we need to remind ourselves of the often overlooked but absolutely necessary and gift that it is to be part of a local church family. And heading into 2021 to renew again our affections for one another. Renew again our commitment to one another. To support one another. Be there for one another. Even as hard and different as it is because community groups aren't happening like normal. Sunday school is not happening like normal. I get all that. But just organically. Because that's what the church is. It's not programs. It's organic happenings outside of these walls. God most tangibly meets our needs there. And so this morning, I just want to remind ourselves of the, it's often overlooked, but necessity and gift of church membership. All right? And from necessity, like on the necessity side of things, like it, it's something that God commands. It's a necessity. God commands. But as always, with God's commands, they're always for our good. Gift. God never commands something. That's not for our good. That's, you never find anything in Scripture that God commands that's not for our ultimate good. He only commands that which is for our good. And it's the same thing with church membership. And so this morning, if you want to take notes, there's just going to be two major overarching points. The first one is this, the necessity of church membership. And the second one, the second, I've got a Band-Aid on, so I keep kind of, do I want to use this or use this? The second one is the gift of membership. All right? So the necessity of membership and the gift 
of membership. And so we'll hit necessity first. We'll hit this mandate of membership, this command to membership first. Because somebody will say, well, hey, Joe, church membership is not in the Bible. Well, in actuality, it is. And if you read the Bible with your eyes wide open, it's actually there a lot. And so we're going to build towards that. First of all, you just kind of need to understand. Let me just kind of teach for a minute. There's something called the universal church. Just framing some things out. When you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you repent and believe the gospel, at that moment of salvation, you become a member of the universal church. We might call this church with a capital C. And so this is, uh, what that is, is this all believers of all time, of all geographic locations, who trust in the Messiah for salvation. And so, Old Testament, they were looking forward to a Messiah. New Testament, and in this particularly us today, we're looking back on the coming of Messiah, back on Jesus with a better understanding of His sinless life in the place of our sinful lives, His undeserved death in the place of our deserved condemnation for our sins. He's our substitute for that. And then His bodily resurrection, that's a foretaste of our coming future resurrection. And so the universal church, or church with a capital C, is made up of all people across all geographic locations and time that trust Christ the Messiah for salvation. They are part of the universal church. All right. So at the moment you trust Christ, you are made a member of the universal church. <clears throat> but then that must be given, that must be fleshed out, given expression in a local setting with a particular local community of God's people committed to Christ and committed to one another. That's what it means to be the church. When you see in Scripture, ecclesia, assembly, that's what it means. Committed to Christ, a local people committed to Christ and committed to one another. It's not a consumeristic thing like, well, I got this one. Oh, this new one over here has got that. I'm going to go over here for a while. Oh, they started this. I'm going to go back. Like, No. You're committed to what you are a family. Not a consumer thing. Commitment. And so, like here at the church, at Providence, we can't see people's, you know, hearts. We can't really see if someone has truly trusted in Jesus or not. That's, that's an impossibility, right? But to try to be as pure as possible and to try and reflect the universal church as much as we can, we work hard to ensure as much as we humanly can that members of this local church are in fact first members of the universal church. That is, they are in fact believers. And so that's why, <clears throat> excuse me, those of you, I don't have coat, well, pray, I don't think I do, stay away from me. I just scared the poop out of everybody and I'm sorry. <laughs> But we do work hard to try to ensure that everyone who's a member here is first a member of the universal church. That is that they are actually a believer. And so if you've been through starting point, you know, we, we talk about things and then we have a follow up and we sit down. We want to hear your testimony and hear, you know, how did you come to Christ if you have come to Christ? And then through those conversations, we've actually had the chance to lead people to Christ through chatting about all of that. And then I want to make sure you understand, I'm not talking about just attenders or, or people who might be part of the community of 
the church, like under the umbrella of the, of the church. Like my two youngest kids, they're not yet members of the church, but they are certainly part of the community of the church, very much so. And so if that's you, if you're underneath the umbrella of the community of Providence and you're here or watching online or you're not yet a believer or you're, you're, you're figuring this out, awesome. We are so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you're watching online and we're here to help you and serve you and do anything we can along in your journey. And so anyone and everyone is welcome here. But actual membership, a prerequisite to that is belief. And so the application for some of you just right now is trust Christ. Become a believer. Enter into that immediate membership in the universal church. Make that decision to follow Christ. And then be baptized. And then become a part of a local church. Either this one or another gospel-centered local church that may be wherever you may be watching from. And so anyone and everyone is welcome here, but actual members at Providence, a prerequisite is belief that you understand the gospel and you believe the gospel. That you have a correct confession, you understand it, and you actually confess it. You actually are a confessor of it. You believe it. Right? You, need to, you, can't, you can't believe in something you don't understand. Right? You need to understand it and believe it. And understand also that as we're talking about church membership, this isn't some sort of like add-on. This isn't some sort of like, oh, I'm going varsity in Christianity. This is just part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Christ. According to the Bible, to be a Christian is to be a churchman or a churchwoman. All right, well, Joe, you just said Bible, so show me. All right, well, let's do that. We're going to look at a couple of blocks to help me build out and show you how membership is in Scripture. We're going to look at two blocks in particular. The first block has to do with how elders and the congregation are to relate. There's a lot of that in Scripture. And then the second block we're going to look at is how you know, it relates to excommunication or being removed from membership in a church. And so that first block, uh, duties of members and elders, how they relate to one another. Listen to a couple of scriptures. The first one, I'm going to read them quickly, so you just write them down. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and then I'll do 1 Timothy 5, 17, and then we'll do Hebrews 13, 17. But 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 says this, We ask you, brothers, so congregation, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, so that's what elders are to do, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 1 Timothy 5, 17, That the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, so that's what elders are to do. Hebrews 13, 17, we've got both of them. To the congregation, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch, and here's my responsibility, and the elders in this church, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so you have, I can keep going with several more, First Peter chapter 5, uh, Acts 20, verse 28, but Scripture clearly commands 
that Christians are to submit and honor their elders and that elders are to care specifically for the flock. But if there's no understanding of the flock, how are you to do that? Like, like for you as, as, as a congregation, who are you to submit to if there's no understanding of a local church? Are you to submit to anyone who has the name elder? Are you to submit to the Westboro Baptist wackos? Who are you to submit to? If there's no understanding of a local church. And then for me, like on the pastor's side of things, who am I going to give an account for? If there's no understanding of a local church membership and I know who I care for, who, who am I going to give an account for? Is there just anybody in Owensville? There's got to be an understanding of a local group of people that I'm going to give an account for, that, that John and Chad and Jeff and Jeff and Steve are going to give an account for. And then if you even look at the, the other block, block number two, as it relates to excommunication, which doesn't mean, oh, we think people are, are like automatically, you're excommunicated, that means you're going to hell. That's not what that means. It's just being removed from membership. But even as you look at that, that there, you, you'll see this idea of, of inside and outside the church. And, and so, just for example, 1 Corinthians 5. Listen to this. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And so this is incestual stepmom things going on. And you're arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? And then listen. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. And then if you go on down to, to verse 9, it's going to say, purge that person. And so how can you kick someone out if there is no in? How can you remove them if they weren't first in? Does that make sense? And even before you get to like excommunication, putting someone outside the church, if you just go through the steps of church discipline, like in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, tell it to the church. Well, who is that? Is that just anybody? Or you just get on Facebook and tell it to everybody? I mean... Who is it? It's got to be a local group. Jesus has in mind some definite group of local people. And so pulling all of this together, what this shows us is that it is God's plan that His people would belong to a local covenant community of faith. And again, that's not an add-on. It's just part and parcel of being a Christian. Just as basic as reading your Bible every day. I mean, biblically, outside of the thief on the cross and the Ethiopian eunuch who had just become a Christian, you will not find anyone in Scripture, New Testament, who is not yoked to a local church. Every single time, it'll be someone from you know, the church at Rome or the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus. Every single time, yoked to a local church church, I challenge you, search the New Testament and see if you can find someone not yoked to a local church outside of the thief on the cross and the cross in the Ethiopian unit. You won't find it. We are to be part of a local church. If you are a believer, you are to be part of a local church, either this one or another gospel preaching one somewhere else. And there's lots of good ones in the area. I'm friends with most all of them. 
but be involved somewhere. And when you're when you become a member, don't be a consumer. Be a provider. And be committed to that group of people committed to Christ and committed to one another. That's a church. And so that's kind of the necessity side of things. Just to show you, like, it is a biblical thing to be, a, like, some people are church members. No, it is. There's all of these obvious implications here. So there's a necessity of membership. But now let's turn and kind of look at the gift. The purpose of membership. How it is a gift to us. And we could talk about a lot of ways to, to kind of slice this. But for time's sake, I'm going to just focus in on three. All right? I'll give them to you right off the, right off the, the beginning here. Spiritual formation. Evangelism. And then life as a family. These are the purposes and the gift of the church. Spiritual formation, evangelism, and life as a family. And so like from a spiritual formation standpoint, Christ's goal of molding and forming us to be ever increasingly like Him is not just an individualistic endeavor. In fact, it's not an individualistic endeavor. He created us such that we need each other. Angela read 1 Corinthians 12 earlier. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no use of you. The ear can't say to the eye, I have no use of you. It takes all of these different members to make up the body. We need one another. And so our spiritual formation, our growth in Christ, our persevering in the faith is not independent of one another. It is interdependent upon one another. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Christianity is inherently corporate. This is one of the things we've got to reclaim out of America, American individualism Christianity. It's inherently corporate. There's an us-ness to Christianity. I can't stress that enough. And so your spiritual growth and formation is not just even about just you. It's not just about you. You can have false growth where it's all about, well, I've, I've you know, in the last year I increased my, uh, I shared my faith with 7.2 more people than I did the year before. And my quiet times have grown by 16 minutes and, and my prayer, like, that's wonderful. That's great. But if it's just about you, like, how are you treating other people? How are the Beatitudes being evidenced in your life? God's concerned with more than just getting your quiet times to go up and your evangelism to go up. He's concerned with more than that. Yes, those things. But more than that. How, are you, how do you treat others? And so being a member of the church should cause you to be concerned for others' growth in Christ as well. How are you doing? How can I implore you? How can we push one another on to faith and good works? And so it's a community project, not an individualistic matter. It's a matter for the whole church. And like I said, the 21st century American hyper-individualized consumeristic church has largely forgotten this. This is why you can walk into a Christian bookstore, grab a book that talks about spiritual growth, and it won't mention a thing about the church. 
It's all focused on you, individual. But you look at Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and over and over again, he's talking about, well, this gift's been given, and this gift's been given, and this gift's been given, and this gift's been given. For what purpose? For the building up of the church, that the church might be built up. For the building up, that the church might be built up. That's why all the gifts are given. Ephesians 4, same thing. He's given prophets and apostles and teachers and evangelists and all this. What's the purpose? So that the church might grow up to maturity. So that the church might grow up to maturity. That you, the congregation, might be equipped for every good work. These gifts aren't just for for you. They're for the church. To build it up. The church, your church, this church. In fact, Mark Dever puts it this strongly. If you think of yourself as a strong Christian and you get really excited to listen to a John MacArthur or a David Platt or a Matt Chandler sermon or read a John Piper book, but you can't be committed to a group of people who are different than you, who the only thing they may have in common with you is Jesus Christ with all their faults and foibles, then I think you might not have much reason, maybe, to even think you're converted. Folks, the more we know about our own sin and the way God has forgiven us, has forgiven me in Christ, surely that kind of love must find a way out of our hearts to other people. It must be manifested, particularly to those that you have committed to as brothers and sisters in a local church. And Christ is forming us through this. When iron sharpens iron, you hear that? Yeah, okay. Sparks fly. Christ forms us in relationships, not on an island by ourselves. But not only is spiritual formation a purpose and a gift of membership, so is evangelism. Now, when we talk evangelism, we... If you have any background in the church, we, you, you, evangelism, you talk about it a lot, right? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are, Matthew 28, to make disciples of Panta Ethne, all the nations, all the people groups. This is what we are to do. This is, this is an obvious implication that, that we see. We are to make disciples. We are to evangelize. That is, we are to tell other people about Jesus so that they can repent and believe as well. That's the obvious part of evangelism. But church membership plays an unobvious part of evangelism. Because by joining a local church somewhere you are helping to clarify the gospel for non-Christians. Oh, that's what a Christian looks like. That, that, not, not all the caricatures I've seen. That, that's, what, that's what one actually looks like. And then, particularly in our context, Tennessee, Bible Belt, where cultural Christianity is rampant, it allows cultural Christians to look and realize, well, I've call myself a Christian, but I don't live like, I don't, I don't live like that. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I'm not. You're, it's an unobvious, but it is a form of evangelism. And, and even it, 
our attendance, right? And I get it's COVID, so maybe even also, you know, commitment to live streaming during this time. But even that is a form of evangelism because it it clarifies what Christians look like and what they do, that they put a priority. I mean, they prioritize this time, this gathering of the local body, that Sunday is not fun day, it's the Lord's day. And so you prioritize your life around that. And so listen to me. What this means is that uninvolved, habitual, not, there, there's reason certainly for things, but chosen, purposed, non-attendance, inactive members, confuse both real Christians, real members, and non-Christians about what it means to actually be a Christian. Because they're not living like one. And so we, active members, do the, listen, voluntary. I'm talking about voluntary, not things that may force something. But the voluntary, inactive members, we do them no service when we allow them to remain members of the church. Because membership, remember, is a church's endorsement of a person's salvation. Not that a church can make someone a Christian, only the Holy Spirit does that, but the church is called to declare, yep, that looks like someone who has a right confession and actually is a confessor of it. They, they understand the gospel and they believe it. Yep, stamp upon them. We declare that they are, can't see their hearts, but as far as we can tell, they seem to be. That's what membership in a local church is doing. But a congregation... I can't honestly testify that someone who is functionally invisible to them is faithfully persevering in the faith. You can't do it. And so we do a disservice to the church, to the non-attending individual, and the watching world when we allow non-attending inactive people to remain members. That doesn't mean we write them off. No, we seek them out. We call them to repentance. We love them. We pray for them. We keep seeking them. We, we try to help them connect somewhere else that may be a better fit for them based upon different things if that's uh, become an issue. But eventually, if they do not return or join somewhere else, yeah, we remove them from membership because we can no longer vouch for their salvation. doesn't mean we think they're going to hell. It's just we can't vouch for it because we don't see you. And so the way we live as a church is a form of evangelism. Showing other people, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is how you prioritize your life. You do things differently. And it's not overt and obvious, but it is a testimony. And then also how we are to live. How we live is both the purpose and the gift. And so we talk about spiritual formation, we talk about evangelism, but then life as a family. We're to live as a family. Because in Christ, we've been made a family. We've been adopted into God's family through Christ. Like once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you didn't, God was not your father, you were not part of the family. Now you've been adopted into the family. And so like as you think about family, if I was up here talking about, hey, here's how to be, you know, here's some things to do uh, to be a, a Christian family or whatever. There's going to be things that I talk about that you do um, 
you know, eat dinner together, read the Bible together, make sure you laugh together, uh, make sure you apologize to one another and you forgive one another. Do, do these things. This is what it looks like to be a family. But hopefully as we're talking about that, we would all realize and remember that parents make mistakes. They blow it sometimes. And kids do too. They blow it sometimes. And so we, we recognize that the family is not just an institution, it's a group of people and people are complex. And likewise, it's the same thing with the church. And so when you are part of a church, whether this one or another one, you're a member of this church and they fail you. We fail you. And by we, I don't just mean the elders. I mean we, the church body. Remember, we're also a group of people still growing in grace. And so love one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Like a family. Like you are with your family. I mean, whether it's your whenever your parents or your siblings or your children, when they fail to meet your expectations, do you suddenly throw them out of the family or say, I'm going to go get a new family? Of course not. I hope not. I hope you forgive them. I hope you're patient with them. And so it is in the church. But even, and maybe even you stop to ask and consider, is it my expectations that need to actually change and be adjusted not their actions that's something that's helpful for us to think but even if it is their actions well then we need to ask ourselves if we know how to love and persevere with church members who have different opinions who fail to meet our expectations or who sin against us that's what a family does they forgive they bear long with one another and we're called to live as a family. And Christ changes us through that. Again, it happens in relationships. That iron sharpening iron, sparks flying. And so let's never pretend that this church or any church is perfect. It will not be until Christ returns. But we still press on. We persevere. We suffer long with one another. We don't jump out when things get hard. We we, we, we settle in and work together as a family, knowing God is changing us through that. And so you belong here. You have a home here, church member. This is a purpose and a gift of membership. And so putting all of this together, spiritual formation, evangelism, life as a family, endeavor is helpful again when he writes this. We demonstrate to the world that we have been changed. Not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tie the portion of our income, and listen to Christian radio stations, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. So you and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. And we demonstrate that when the people we've committed to loving give us good reason to not love them. And we do so anyhow. You can't manifest the fruit of the Spirit by yourself. It's in relationship. And so church family, we give a 
visual presentation of the gospel, when we forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, when we commit to one another as Christ has committed to us, when we lay down our lives for one another as Christ has laid down His life for us. And it's only together that we can display the gospel like this. You can't do it by yourself. It's together. I mean, it is in the... All of the one another's of the New Testament, there's 59 of them. Love one another is repeated 16 times. But all of those are to begin in the context of a local church. They don't end there, but they start there. And so how are we to live towards one another? What is that to look like in 2021? Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I could say it 16 times. Moving on to the others. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. This, this is the gift and the purpose of membership. Encourage one another. Care for one another. We're a family. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. Be interested in one another. Be accountable to one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Do not pass judgment on one another. Do not slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned for one another. Be humbled to one another in love. Be compassionate to one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another. Carry one another's burdens. This is the purpose and the gift of church membership. And in joining a church, you're saying, hey, I'm now your responsibility and you're mine. We're a community, an assembly, an ecclesia. There's no I or me in church. But there is a you, and I'm concerned for you. That's what you're saying as a church. And so, church family, this, this is the overlooked necessity and gift we so desperately need in this next year. And we need to hone in as it's been made harder with some pandemic things. But we need one another. We need to encourage one another. All 59 or 57 of those things. Let's do this. For one another. And the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, 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 that you would work in us. That you would change us by your Holy Spirit. To manifest these one another's. Towards one another. that we would be compelled 
and by your Spirit. To an increased level of of care and concern. Just as like we are for our fam- for our or for our families, we would care and concern for our church family. The gospel is thicker than blood. Let it bind us to you and to one another. In Christ's name, amen.